Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, we got a double dose of President Biden. Interestingly, in just a 12-hour period, the president gave two significant addresses to the nation. Last night, of course, the president took a prime time slot, very rare for President Biden, to talk about gun violence in the United States of America, to urge Congress to pass gun control legislation. And then this morning, he spoke about his economic plans uh, after the release of the most current U.S. jobs report. So the question is, the president speaking to the nation twice within 12 hours, did he move the needle? Did he move the country? And did he move the Congress to pass any of the president's priorities? And so let's begin last night. The president did take a primetime slot. Again, he hasn't done this very often over the course of his presidency in his first 16 months. He's mostly focused on midday to mid-afternoon speeches. And this was an interesting one. It was it was primetime. And I actually think it was one of President Biden's best speeches. I thought he hit the right tone. I thought he hit the right points. I thought he uh, connected with the American people in a way that only presidents can. The setting was right. And so I want to go through that just a little bit in terms of what he said, talk about some of the policy things that he uh, proposed, and then how that actually moves individual Americans and communities. And will it do anything to move Congress forward on some of those priorities? So let's begin. President Biden said that he doesn't want to take away anyone's guns. Uh, but the Second Amendment is not absolute. Here's how he described it. I want to be very clear. This is not about taking away anyone's guns. It's about vil- not about vilifying gun, o- gun owners. In fact, we believe we should be treating responsible gun owners as an example of how every gun owner should behave. I respect the culture and the tradition and the concerns of lawful gun owners. At the same time, the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. So the president very clearly trying to send the message that, hey, this is not about taking away guns. This is about responsible gun ownership. I thought that was a, a good way for the president to frame it. Again, whether you agree with the policies or not, that's a different subject. Uh, but I thought the president did a good job of framing it in terms of respecting the culture, the tradition of all gun owners, and then making sure that those responsible gun owners are protected and that they're really the example uh, for how things should be done when it comes to the Second Amendment. The president then laid out very specific proposals in terms of how do you actually curb the gun violence and address some of the things that the nation is clearly pondering uh, in the wake of some tragedies. But here's what I believe we have to do. 
Here's what the overwhelming majority of American people believe we must do. Here's what the families in Buffalo and Uvalde in Texas told us we must do. We need to ban assault weapons in high-capacity magazines. And if we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. Strengthen background checks. Enact safe storage law and red flag laws. Repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability. Address the mental health crisis, deepening the trauma of gun violence and as a consequence of that violence. These are rational, common sense measures. Rational, reasonable, common sense was really the theme of what the president was trying to get out. And I think if you go through each of those areas, uh, assault weapons, raising the age uh, to be able to purchase those from 18 to 21, strengthening background checks, uh, enact safe storage laws and red flag laws, uh, repealing the immunity uh, that protects gun manufacturers from liability, and then addressing the mental health crisis. Uh, those were all crucial points uh, from the president last night. And uh, we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper a little later on in the show today, coming up at 1.50, uh, because there is an interesting movement afoot. Uh, you have, of course, this gang of 10 in the United States Senate, five Democrats, five Republicans who are behind closed doors in a room. I think it's a virtual room this week because they're not in session. And they're trying to hammer through what kind of piece of legislation they could take to the floor of the Senate. You also have a very interesting thing happening in the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi, of course, has said that she is going to take these things the president has laid out, uh, put them into a big package and uh, put that on the floor of the House next week. Uh, but there is another path that I actually think is the only path towards significant change as it relates to gun violence and gun safety. Uh, and it's actually coming from a group of 21 Democrats who sent a message to Speaker Pelosi. We're going to break that down coming up at 150. I actually think it is a model. It is a model for actually getting some of this stuff actually across the finish line uh, and fully enacted. And it isn't going to be just the big broad talking points. It's not going to be a big thousand page bill that nobody's going to read and that everyone's going to have a problem with and it's going to get voted down in the end. There is another way to get this done. And we'll talk about that coming up at 150. But again, I thought the president did a very good job last night. One of his strongest speeches. Uh, he's given a couple of those of late. And again, I think regardless of uh, how you feel about the president or the policies, uh, I think he struck the right tone as both commander-in-chief and consoler-in-chief uh, to the United States of America. I think he got that part right in his speech to the nation primetime last night. This morning, President Biden delivered remarks on the economy. And, of course, the jobs numbers came out. Uh, the president touted the economic recovery following the pandemic. At the time I took office, about 16 months ago, the economy had stalled and COVID was out of control. Today, thanks to the economic plan and the vaccination plan that my administration put in action, America has achieved the most robust recovery in modern history, just two years removed from the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The job market is the strongest it's been since just after World War II. We've got more evidence of that today. President Biden also said that bringing down inflation is the top priority. 
priority and laid out some broad brushes for that. I've been very clear that fighting inflation is my top economic priority. On Tuesday, I spoke about one element of my inflation plan, giving the Federal Reserve the space they need to operate. Today, I'd like to address the two additional elements of my plan to tackle inflation. One, bringing down the cost of everyday goods for families. And two, bringing down the federal deficit at the same time. So the, the president laid those two uh, pieces out there, again, without anything specific other than I want to bring down the cost of goods and services for the American people and, and then dealing with uh, the spending issue. And while we applaud the president on the wanting to reduce the debt and the deficit, uh, that is a big one and is going to require a, a big lift. And uh, that's one where it, it's equal opportunity. Uh, Democrats and Republicans have, alike have added to the debt. Uh, over the last uh, several decades, and no one no one gets off of that one scot-free. The one thing I disagreed with the president on in his speech this morning on the economy uh, was the finger-pointing and placing blame component to it. Uh, he basically put all of inflation on the Putin price increase. And while that might sound nice on a bumper sticker or in a meeting inside the Oval Office uh, with some, some staffers, uh, that's not what the American people are feeling. And so here's where I think the president has to go. Uh, if the president wants to really regain the trust of the American people, he has to speak in a way that is congruent to what they're living. And when he blames inflation on Vladimir Putin, most Americans are not connecting that dot. And so labeling it the Putin price increase uh, just doesn't cut it for the American people who are paying uh, those increased prices. Uh, both on gas and groceries and a host of other things. And so the president just needs to own it and move it forward. Uh, in fact, it was interesting. Uh, we'll run out of time for that. Never mind. Uh, interesting this week that uh, the White House press secretary uh, was confronted with the question of if the Treasury secretary, Janet Yellen, said she got inflation wrong, she missed it, uh, why the White House was saying it's not their fault. Uh, and not buying into that. And I think that's the challenge for the president. He he is talking about things that are not congruent with what the American people are living. If he would just own that and say, here's where we are, doesn't matter where we've been, here's where we are, here's what we're going to do moving forward, I think the American people would buy into that. I think he'd also have success in Congress in getting some of those priorities across the finish line. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.